Welcome to Climate Now, a podcast that explores and explains the ideas, technologies, and practical on-the-ground solutions that we need to address the global climate crisis and achieve a net zero emissions future. I'm James Lawler, and today we're going to explore how emissions from building operations can be cut by 80% through improved energy efficiency, electrification, and transitioning our electricity generation to clean sources. Building operations, think heating, cooling, electricity, are responsible for 27% of global CO2 emissions. And that number is closer to 50% when you add the emissions that come from building materials and construction. With the help of our guests today, we'll tackle the following questions. How can smart buildings improve energy efficiency and what are some examples of this technology? What are heat pumps and how are they part of the decarbonization solution? And how do we ensure that decarbonization happens in a way that's inclusive and affordable? I spoke with two different guests whose companies are providing both the technology and expertise to digitize, electrify, and improve energy efficiency of the built environment. Ian Harris is a business development manager at Block Power, a company trying to green the urban environment one city at a time. Block Power announced earlier this year it would help Ithaca, New York to decarbonize its entire building stock in an all-out effort to be carbon neutral by 2030. First up, however, we'll talk to Katie McGinty, Vice President and Chief Sustainability and External Relations Officer at Johnson Controls. Katie has served as a top environmental official at both the state and federal level, including as an advisor to former President Bill Clinton. Prior to her current job, she worked as the Senior Vice President of the Oceans Program for the Environmental Defense Fund. Katie will share the kinds of technologies that Johnson Controls has developed to make buildings smarter and more energy efficient. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. Thanks for including us. I'm very excited to engage, and I really want to thank you guys at the top. You're getting a great, informed, data-rich climate message out there. So thanks for what you do. Well, thanks so much. Can you start by telling us a little bit about Johnson Controls? What, what exactly does the company do? Johnson Controls has been around a long time. We're 137 years young. And from the start, we've been all about buildings. We are 100% pure play, sustainable buildings technology company. We started with uh, Dr. Warren Johnson, who was a teacher and who got it that when a building is either way too cold or way too hot, it's really unlikely that he's grabbing the attention of those students in his classroom. So he invented the first electric thermostat. And for the century plus since, we've been building on that innovation with the idea that being ultra efficient is also being about ultra lifting up the productivity, the health, the well-being, frankly, the joy of people in buildings and driving technology to be able to achieve all those ends. And we went from that initial electronic thermostat that enabled the room not to be freezing or boiling hot to ever increasing powers around the controls, the intelligence of the building. And it looks a little bit like this. So a control on a heating and air conditioning machine enables it to be 20, 30% more efficient. How? Because it's taking data about, well, what is the temperature right now? Can, can the HVAC dial it back? Because it's plenty warm or plenty cool, you know, in that room right as it is. Adding to that now things like air quality. Hey, if there's fresh air to be had outside, why don't we open up those dampers and bring that fresh air in? 
Today, what we're actively doing is enabling business and building owners to see that there is money in being efficient because these controls can now receive a signal from the grid. Hey, electricity is about to spike really expensive. Mm -hmm. This would be a great time to just dim those lights a little bit, dial back the HVAC a little bit. Now we're talking about hockey stick increases in performance Hmm. because we're breaking through the siloed HVAC system so that that HVAC is talking to the lights, is talking to your plug load, Mm. which plug loads, by the way, vampire electricity consumption can be 20% of your electricity bill. Wow. But even more, it's enabling us then behind the meter at the building to integrate renewables now on site so that you really can achieve net zero buildings. So that's what we're about. That's what we spend time inventing and driving forward every day. In Johnson Control's strategy to decarbonize buildings, do you see other industries like energy storage, for example, acting as complementary to support your strategy on smart buildings? Where do things like storage, et cetera, come in? Um, Okay, so on this journey, we've gone from totally unsustainable to improvements maybe on the order of 50-60% reduction in emissions and cost. Well, newsflash, 50-60% is not net zero. And so the net zero journey then is very much about what you can do by way of renewables on site, what you can do then to back up those renewables with battery storage on site. And it's increasingly also about thinking of that building as a battery, because that battery of a building now is going to enable you to electrify your fleet right? and have a place where that electrified fleet can be recharged and or can be connected to the grid and support the grid. So batteries are an essential piece. I think we're all excited to see that the cost curves you know, on batteries are following some of the same ski slope mm-hmm. <laughs> as renewables have followed. So I understand that Johnson Controls worked on the Empire State Building, and I wonder if you could share the work that was done and, and how the building was transformed in that instance. But when you have a building as iconic and historic as the Empire State Building, you might think, well, we'll be very limited here in what we're able to achieve. One of the important things, though, that in that effort where the upshot of looking at it root and branch from HVAC in the basements to the lighting to the windows to every bit of that building envelope was and is a $40 million cut in the electricity bill for the Empire State wow. Building you know, over, over a number of years. We recently have been working on the White House complex. And there it's a complex of three or four of the White House campus buildings. And again, millions of dollars of savings, 40 plus percent in the energy consumed in those buildings. Hmm. It shows you that climate action is for everybody everywhere. Right. You know, we have LEED certified buildings where people say, well, it's already LEED certified. 
And we regularly can achieve 30, 40% additional savings in that building. Wow. Other examples. So, you know, in, in a stadium, okay, well, stadium itself is bricks and mortar and it's really expensive, but you have to have it because all kind of cool stuff is going to happen inside it. Fan experience, fun is going to happen, but the building is just a necessary, expensive inconvenience. That's all just absolutely changing. In the Fiserv Arena, for example, home of the Bucks, where Johnson Controls is very active, the building, the stadium itself speaks to the fans. So if cold beer is your thing, the building is going to tell you, hey, the beer stand at gate 13, nobody's in line. Rush yourself right over there. Mm -hmm. Is that an efficiency improvement? Yes, because the sensors that tell you that are the same sensors that are controlling the HVAC and the lighting. But boy, does it enhance the fan experience. So we're moving from just tackling a negative to really unleashing creativity that will lift up the business of that organization and frankly, the sort of inspiration of all the people involved. So I mentioned sensors. I just was visiting that what's considered the smartest hospital in North America just last week. It's our longtime partner and where we do have all of our machine learning, AI capabilities, robotics built into the operation of that building. Can, can you share what building it is? It's in Toronto, the Humber River Hospital. And there, the, again, the same set of sensors that are enabling us to optimize the operation of the building is also enabling in record time to be able to mobilize the medical team, to be able to prep the operating theater, to be able to hold the elevator that's needed so that that doctor can get to that operating room. And we know in advance because we're able to keep a much closer eye on Mrs. Smith. In a hospital in Singapore, I'm just thrilled to say that this same set of capabilities We literally are measuring now, and our performance is judged, not just on how much energy we've cut, but in terms of the time from a code blue to an operating theater. And we've been able to cut that from seven minutes and lots of loss of life to two minutes. Wow. Because of that same set of sensors that is enabling us to take on climate change is enabling that medical team to save many more lives. Hmm. I'd like to talk briefly about another building technology that I know Johnson Controls is particularly keen on, which is heat pumps. Heat pump technology has become a serious part of addressing the need for efficient heating and cooling. Why is that? These are truly remarkable machines, and they are remarkable for two key reasons. First, they are the key towards decarbonization of tough to decarbonize sectors, totally backing out the need for fossil fuels in things like heating spaces, hot water, and now increasingly, again, major industrial processes. So you have an immediate move to electricity from natural gas and other fuels, but even more because heat pumps are designed to grab waste heat, for example, and put it to work, for every unit of energy you put into a heat pump, you're getting three and four times 
the useful, workable energy out. Energy efficiency has always sort of been this least sexy, if you will, kind of instead of front in line, which as we know it should be, the cleanest and cheapest electron is the one you never generate. It also always seems to get left you know, to the back because unlike a, you know, a new wind farm or solar farm, it's hard to imagine a ribbon cutting on an absence of energy. Yeah, I love that. And that echoes sort of another concept we've come across of tunneling through the cost barrier and tunneling through these barriers and obstacles. To your point, what starts to happen as you think more carefully about efficiency and energy use is you find you're solving kind of this whole ecosystem of issues that you didn't even really realize until you're into it, which is so cool. One final question for you. Does Johnson Controls have programs in place to cater for low-income communities? Love this question. Thank you so much. Yes, because I think this is another thing that we have to drive home. That again, climate action is for everybody everywhere. So we talked about some of the iconic buildings, the Empire State Building, the White House, um, some of the most compelling examples to me are in public housing. So we do major, major work for public housing authorities across the country. One, when we do those jobs, like in Philadelphia, for example, we train and put to work some of the residents of that public housing development because you can do this work. This is skill that can be taught. So those kinds of energy efficiency jobs, they are 100% part of our team. They wind up with a house that's healthier, that is more affordable for them, and a skill that's valuable in the market. Now, how about instead of just bringing costs down, we lift the entire community up? And that's a great segue to our next guest, Ian Harris's company, Block Power, is not only on a mission to electrify buildings, but make it attainable for underserved communities and communities of color. Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me, James. So tell us about Block Power. What, what exactly is Block Power? What does the company do? How long has it been in business? What's the business model? If you could lay out the bones for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at its core and at the forefront of all the work that we do, we are looking to make buildings smarter, greener, and healthier. Mm-hmm. Our objective is leveraging technology, leveraging data, leveraging community organizing tactics to focus on analyzing, financing, and install energy efficient all electric equipment in buildings across the entire country, specifically focusing on our low and moderate income communities in our communities of color who have historically been left out of that process. As an organization, we are looking not only to work with the mom and pops, we're looking to work with the larger organizations, your real estate investment firms, your large property management firms, as well as working with your various municipalities across the country, right? The work that we do can not only be done on the ground, but also be done at a municipality level. Mm-hmm. And so how does Block Power then engage with building owners to make these changes? Is it a consulting business model? What exactly is the model? We identify as a one-stop shop, right? We like to be able to engage with a customer from the onset of them just wondering what's possible, then take them through the entire process of analyzing their building, finding out what the appropriate solution would be for the building, and then actually implementing that solution, as well as providing the necessary capital if that's required to get the project across the finish line. Who is your typical customer? And maybe walk me through how I would engage 
with block power? What would that look like? So when you do engage with block power, the first thing that you're going to get is you're going to receive information, right? You're going to receive the necessary tools and information to understand where your building currently is and what's possible. Are we looking to do solar? Are we looking to do electrification? What the general cost would be from a high level? And then what the potential incentives may be to lower that cost based off of your market and its geographic location. Our first sort of foyer into this market was to working with multifamily buildings, houses of worships, and nonprofit organizations. Very similar to what you see in New York City. Think about your pre-war walk-up buildings that are old, burning dirty fossil fuels. That's how we got our base and our start. And then over the last couple of years, we sort of expanded our expertise. So we do have inquiries that are coming in from across the country that are your single family homes, your multifamily buildings, your houses of worships, your community centers. So at the end of the day, our job is to provide the appropriate solution and sort of playbook to allow them to execute on either installing solar panels, installing air source heat pumps. Give me the before and after. They come to Black Power, this is what they're doing. And then after the engagement, what does that delta look like in terms of the technology that is then used or the the savings on electricity? What are some success stories? Absolutely. Let's look at a pre-war walk-up, right? Very common building that you'll find in New York City. Usually we've been engaged by a building owner, a property management firm that said, you know what, we have a building it's burning fossil fuel, it's either oil or gas, and it's just giving me a lot of problems. Simultaneously, you may be hearing complaints from tenants as well, saying that it's too hot, I have uneven heating, I'm unable to control my heating. And at that point, that sort of gives us our first entry into seeing what's possible. From there, we'll do a basic sort of intake in terms of understanding where the building is based off our internal software, and we'll be able to provide them with an initial building report. This information from a high level will just break down what the incentives are for New York City and specifically this market, what the opportunity would be in terms of investment for conversion into air source heat pumps, and then what the potential sort of timeline would be for a project of this stature. So, you know, it is quite engaging. And again, the biggest part that or the biggest opportunity that we're looking to do is just get more people through our system, more people to understand what's possible, and then hopefully we can take them through the process of actual implementation. Mm -hmm. And when you say that you guys have software that assesses the the sort of state of a building, how does that work exactly? Like what is the software? What are the inputs to the software and what are the outputs? From a perspective of our organization, it's always data, 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 right? We need to leverage data to make sure that we are making and providing informed decisions. Most of the data that we currently possess has been data that we've either purchased or, or data that we've been able to collect over the open source we utilize that information and then allow additional data inputs from the actual customer or building owner to provide that instant building report. That instant building report is just a high level and understanding about what's capable of your building. So they're just going to give you a feedback of here's what we think is possible. Here's what the cost is and, and sort of how long that timeline would be. Got it. So I'd love to ask you about the city of Ithaca and the work that you're doing there. The city of Ithaca plans to become carbon neutral by the year 2030 and Block Power has a contract with the city of Ithaca to help them achieve this. So, Ian, I'd love for you to explain maybe what is this contract? What is Block Power providing for the, the city of Ithaca? How's all this working? Yeah. First, let's make sure that we give the recognition to the city of Ithaca to being on the forefront of this work and, and sort of collectively agreeing that this is the best path forward for their city overall. It took a lot of risk. And we appreciate their work and willingness to sort of collaborate with Block Power and select Block Power to be the program manager of this electrification and efficiency program for their city. 
So BlockPair will facilitate do the necessary outreach, marketing, and energy assessments on roughly 6,000 buildings throughout the city of Ithaca. And then we'll take that information and, and sort of analysis and provide the sort of willing participants to move forward with electrification. This is something that is definitely on the forefront. Wow. I just want to make sure I have it right. So you guys are basically looking at a portfolio of 6,000 buildings in Ithaca. Mm -hmm. Very long list. <laughs> How are those improvements to the buildings going to be paid for? There's going to be a general public-private partnership to allow and to ensure this is successful. So Block Power and, and the city of Ithaca are not the only ones at the table to allow us to be successful. We have secured capital to directly infuse into the projects to reduce the costs. We've identified specific incentives based off of the local utility companies and the city of Ithaca as well. Various pieces that we will be putting together will allow us to provide the appropriate solution for these various building owners. Our goal first and foremost is to make sure that everyone is knowledgeable about their building and then what's capable, and then hopefully the appropriate solution based off of the customer's desires, timeline, and price point align appropriately for us to actually implement. So I'd love to know a little bit more about you and your founder, CEO, Donnell Baird. How does the community organizing and kind of civil rights activism background of Donnell Baird and yourself and maybe others on staff inform Block Power's model and ethos? Our CEO, Donnell Baird, comes from a community organizing background, as well as our fellow co-founder, Keith Kinch. I think some of the things that have been instilled quite readily throughout our entire culture and organization is, you know, many hands make light work. The engagement of the community is a necessity for us to be successful in any of the work that we do. And then making sure that we are focusing on the opportunity to directly help the customer or the building owner build healthier and smarter communities and then create good paying green jobs. And that has been something that we've been holding on to as sort of our, our North Light or our North Star since the beginning of our organization. I'd love to ask you sort of a general question, which is about climate justice and environmental, like climate slash environmental justice. What does that mean from Block Power's perspective? Because I think it, it it can mean different things to different people. And I'm curious how you guys define what that is. Sure. I mean, we can all recognize that there's a level of disparity when you talk about the disproportionate impact of climate change on low and moderate income communities and communities of color. As an organization that comes from community organizing, we understand that this transition and this future is not going to be possible unless we have everybody at the table. And again, it's important to make sure that we say these individuals are at the table and, and no longer sort of on the table, right? So we are working to ensure that through our processes, through our relationships, and through the opportunities that we see, that we are ensuring that there's an opportunity for just investment, that there's an opportunity for great job creation, and that the return on the investments are equitable. What does that look like in practice? You know, like when you're out pounding the pavement for new opportunities, how do you kind of infuse your process with that? kind of orientation. It's engaging the community. It's understanding the appropriate partnerships that would allow us to be successful. It's, it's simply listening, right? It's, it's making sure that we are engaging the customers and hearing from them in terms of what their needs are, what their desires are, what their timelines, what their price points are, and provide the appropriate solution. We do have a focus on low and moderate income communities in terms of the work that we do. And through our engagement with the various municipalities on enterprise level opportunities, we always make sure that sort of the checks and balances are in place to allow us to be successful and that the work that we're doing will be provided or be allowed to be sort of implemented in the communities that have sort of been left out from the past. So doing the listening, engaging with the community, and then making sure there's an opportunity for job creation, that there's an opportunity for investment, uh, and that there's an opportunity for this to be done justly. 
Ian, it was great to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, James. Thanks so much for having me. That was Ian Harris of Block Power. And earlier, we spoke to Katie McGinty with Johnson Controls. That's it for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more episodes, videos, or to sign up for our newsletter, visit climatenow.com. We hope you can join us for our next conversation. Climate Now is made possible in part by our science partners like the Livermore Lab Foundation. The Livermore Lab Foundation supports climate research and carbon cleanup initiatives at the Lawrence Livermore National Lab, which is a Department of Energy Applied Science and Research facility. More information on the Foundation's climate work can be found at livermorelabfoundation.org.